Welcome to the Mission Cleveland weekly podcast. Encouragement and hope in a despairing world. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven." for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, you, Lord Lord Christ. Christ. You may be seated. Let us pray. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Inspire us to heal the broken systems of our world. Equip us with wisdom and foresight. May our lives interrupt justice with your grace. Interrupt injustice with your grace. Amen. I was really trying not to do this again until I was at least about 60. But if I'm going to go ahead and do it now, I might as well preach from the Apocrypha. My hope and prayer for the next 15 minutes or so is to urgently convey how important it is for the church at large to change the way we think about some of our outward expressions of faith and to challenge the Mission Cleveland to retool or add new tools to our tool belt regarding our mission to Cleveland. Ultimately, my charge today was to encourage us all to become more development-oriented as opposed to relief-oriented in our approach to community engagement. To do this, I want to start 
and ultimately finish with an image that has helped me um, understand what it means better to incarnate the gospel. For a long time, I've known and tried to live out the saying, proclamation plus demonstration equals incarnation. In other words, you can't just preach the gospel with words and that be enough. We all know that we're called to live it out in tangible ways, preaching the gospel with our actions for the gospel to fully come alive. Those two things must be congruent. We cannot choose from one or the other. But this image helped me take it a step further. It has given me language and a framework to more accurately describe what a fully orbed incarnational faith looks like. It comes from a book, Where the Cross Meets the Street, by Noel Castellanos, and it has challenged me to see different, distinct dimensions of Christ's incarnation. This approach or philosophy is rooted in the teachings of CCDA, the Christian Community Development Association. And if you're interested in going deeper into that, I would encourage you to check them out. We'll come back to this image in a few minutes, um, but I want to share a few thoughts that are inspired from today's text, Sirach 44, 1 through 14. A few words of context about this book. Um, it was written in about 180 BC, about a century too late to be established in order to be in the running for canonical status by the Jews. However, it is one of about 15 books considered to be deuterocanonical, secondarily canonical, and authoritative by the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches. Most Protestants, including Anglicans from the Reformation forward, view the book to be apocryphal. Still worth reading, acceptable for use in church, but that no theological doctrine be established from it solely. In other words, we're not heretics for using it today. <laughs> Sirach was written in the Hebrew language by a leading Jewish scribe named Yeshua ben Sirach, and is also known as the book, The Wisdom of Ben Sirach. It is also known as Ecclesiasticus, which in Latin means of the church. Its form and style are considered to be wisdom literature, like the book of Proverbs. For more context about the book, it was written in a time where the spreading of Greek culture, known as Hellenization, think colonialism, was taking root throughout the Middle East, including Israel. Ben Sarah was writing the book as a reminder to the Jewish people similar to the writer of Hebrews chapter 11, saying, hey, let's not forget our ways. Let's not forget our story. Let's not forget the God who saved us and called us to be his people. I believe we're facing a similar pressure today, only ours is not Hellenization, it is secularization. To put it another way, there's a parallel to the context in which Ben Sarah was writing to our modern context where we're sitting today. And I believe a key to not falling astray to the temptation of the world can be found in this book. One final note of clarification, especially for anyone who is still uncomfortable with this reading being included today. In the Anglican lectionary in the Book of Common Prayer, this passage is one of only five passages from the Apocrypha that I could find that's ever included. 
And it's one of the only texts to appear in the lectionary in years A, B, and C. So it makes me want to ask, why did they include it? Well, upon further investigation, this was a pivotal point in the book where this reading serves as an introduction to a list of saints, notable figures who have gone before, to help the people remember their why. Who came before them? What did they do? What did God do in them? And then in chapter 50, he ends with a eulogy for a friend, High Priest Simon, who had recently passed away. So in our day today, we do well to remember those who have gone before us, celebrating their accomplishments and their legacy that God has worked in and through them. But I believe it is equally important for us to name and celebrate the sainthood of those in our midst, Remembering how God's grace has changed us. How God's grace is literally pouring out through people in this congregation to bring light and goodness to the world. So instead of looking back to the dead in Christ whose shoulders we stand on today, I want to call a few people out by name who are in this faith community and praise God for their divine attributes and unique callings. Tabitha Maruka for your tenderness and empathy. Bill Estes, for your bold administrative wisdom. Julie Martinez, for your fierce prophetic compassion. Robbie Cody, for your tireless servanthood. Leslie Kay, for your consistency and depth. Sean Enright, for your thoughtful open-mindedness. Grace Hayes, for your endless hospitality. Jesse English, for your big picture thinking. Lisa Turner, for your feistiness on behalf of those in need. David Goodwill, for being salt to the earth. Forgive me, there's not enough time to say something about everyone in the church right now. And forgive me, so much more could be said about everyone I've already mentioned. But I want to affirm you all and say you are saints. There are so many beautiful expressions of sainthood in this body. Okay, that was meant to be the encouraging part of the message. From this point forward, it's meant, intended to be a prophetic challenge. Remember what our text says today. But of others, there is no memory. Some people have been forgotten. Their stories and their names, quote, perished as if they never existed. Back to our image. Western Christianity, especially evangelicalism, where so many of us have roots in, have glorified, on the verge of deified, people in the two quadrants to the right. Proclaimers and teachers and leaders of mercy ministries. What has happened is, The church at large has pulled the pendulum over the past century completely to the right in more ways than one and at the expense of these other two quadrants on the left. On the right, both of these things can be accomplished with an individualistic approach. I can do this for you or you can do this for yourself. But on the left, they require a collective mindset We have to do this together. 
Another problem that emerges clearly when we look at faith through the matrix, this matrix, is this. The church at large, especially white evangelicalism, in addition to largely forgetting many of the people, the saints, that are on the left side of this matrix, they have vilified them and made movements such as the social gospel or liberation theology set out to somehow be unchristian. On the right, both of these things can be done on a large scale. Think breadth and width, preaching and giveaways to the masses. But on the left, both of these things require depth. It may take two years to fully rehabilitate one person suffering from addiction and help them reach a place of well-being. It may take five years to change a law that is negatively affecting the most marginalized in our society. Here's what I'm not saying. Forget the right side. I'm not saying denigrate the right side. Sometimes I want to, if I'm honest. But I want to affirm the right side with their gifts and strengths while encouraging the right side to embrace a more fully holistic gospel. For those in the church who have seen the limitations and shortfalls of these two dimensions, like most of you have, we seem to be a place that has magnetized people who feel this way. There are limitations to what's on the right side. I want to help inspire a movement of people who are willing to seek more depth in our ministries that will require strategic collective approaches I honestly actually want to suggest a um, <clears throat> vision questing trip in 2023 to Americus, Georgia. Come back to this leadership team, maybe, uh, to a ministry named Koinonia Farms so that we can discern this vision together. Uh, in the meantime, we need to raise awareness in this body of the issues that overlooked people are facing in our community. We need to build more relationships with people on the margins. They are the body of Christ too. We need to educate each other about how to fight for social change. And ultimately, we need to mobilize groups of people to effect transformational change on a community, society-wide scale. That is the gospel. It is a revolution. In Cleveland and virtually every place in this country, we are becoming more polarized at unprecedented rates of income disparity, racial wealth gap, racial tensions, and so many more systemic problems that we are all concerned about. Without getting into a soapbox on all those issues, I simply want to say, Mission Cleveland, we've got to do something about it. As a church, we must be about more than redeeming and comforting the souls of individuals who've been hurt by the church. We've got to learn to fish differently. We, we need to get ready for an immersive journey that will cost us our life again and again. A helpful teaching on this is, is from a different author, Bob Lupton, but it's, it's called The Oath of Compassionate Helpers. Hear this and ask yourself, are you willing to take this oath? I will never do for others what they have the capacity to do for themselves. I will limit one-way giving to crisis and seek always to find ways for legitimate exchange.
I will seek ways to empower by hiring, lending, and investing, and, and offer gifts as incentives to celebrate achievements. I will put the interests of those experiencing poverty above my own, even when that means setting aside my own agenda or the agenda of my organization. I will listen carefully, even to what is not being said, knowing that unspoken feelings contain essential clues to healthy engagement. Above all, and to the best of my ability, I will do no harm. Church, are we with the community, or are we volunteering? Are we walking like colonizing missionaries, or are we walking in solidarity? What relationships are we building with parts of the body of Christ and God's creation that are suffering from injustice and oppression? I want to close with a concept that comes from a book called The Stages of Faith by James Fowler. In this book, the author looks at ways in which faith grows in stages dynamically. <clears throat> One of the ideas highlighted in the book comes from a developmental psychologist named Eric Erickson. He was known for how he compared stages of faith to the stages of growth in living beings. For instance, in humans, we know we grow from being a fetus to a newborn to an infant to young children, pubescence, emerging adulthood, and so on through mature adulthood. And each one of these stages is critical to the formation of the next. We know that every stage developmentally deeply affects the next stage of a person's growth. Every iteration of growth is also brought on by a crisis point. And some people even get stuck developmentally in stages. This idea illustrated, this, I want to illustrate this idea to end um, this message. As a fetus, if one appendage fails to emerge at the appropriate time, every future stage will be affected by that failure of growth. I believe something needs to be named in our midst. Developmentally, we are approaching a crisis point where many are groaning to develop more of a fully orbed incarnational faith that is collective and strategic in how we engage our community. What that looks like is yet to be determined. But in these breakout groups and throughout this series, we hope that this will emerge. Amen. Amen. Speak truth to my heart. Thanks for listening. Join us at the Mission Cleveland next week. God's betrayed.